Welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann. This is episode 1615, Conflict Transformation. Would you like to have more peaceful relationships with others? To be able to use conflict to create more fulfilling and joyous relationships and interactions? You can. And though the work is not easy, the process is simple. And today, Ethan Hughes shares with us how he and others put this idea of conflict transformation into practice day-to-day at the Possibility Alliance, as well as in the permaculture design courses held at the Peace and Permaculture Center. The audio that follows comes from the first video session with Ethan, recorded while I was at the PA. If you want to watch that video, you'll find it embedded in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com. For those of you on mobile, I've included a direct link to the YouTube video in the resource sections of the show notes. If you'd like to see the rest of the videos, as well as hear all the conversations with Ethan, rather than just excerpts like this one, then pledge towards the creation of the Possibility Handbook, which you'll also find a link for in the show notes. Before we begin, a quick thank you to the podcast sponsors, Permikids, Your Garden Solution, and Good Seed Company. Your Garden Solution is a Pennsylvania company run by a permaculture practitioner and their business partner that helps people to garden using the techniques developed by Mel Bartholomew and popularized in his book, Square Foot Gardening. In addition to garden installation and education, they also have an excellent soil mix, as well as a compost, ready for your raised beds. Find out more at yourgardensolution.org. Good Seed Company has been in business for over 40 years and believes we have an inalienable right to open-pollinated, non-GMO seeds for common use. These are the seeds saved by our ancestors for thousands of years that can sustain us today and contribute to a bountiful future for the generations to come. Find out more about the rich history of this company and the importance of seed saving at goodseedco.net or shop the catalog of ecologically grown organic seeds online, store.goodseedco.net. Now then, on to Ethan Hughes. With this idea of conflict resolution. Transformation. Sorry. It's an important term. Because resolution is like, we'll just kind of clean this up and not really transform on the deepest inner level. Conflict transformation, you get to a place where, like Gandhi said, I rejoice when conflict happens because it's a place where I'm out of alignment with the greater truth. That each human being has a piece of the truth. Even the British that were oppressing India had a piece of the truth that Gandhi tried to incorporate. And that double conversion, and this is a radical idea, most people go into conflict resolution to win. To basically, I'm going to show that these other people are like a little off. Gandhi said the double conversion. He's entering conflict for ha- primarily to have himself transformed to see the truth of the other person's perception. And that the double conversion is not only am I trying to hold where you can grow, but primarily I'm looking at what am I bringing to the table. So transformation then means conflict is the number one potential for us to heal and grow. With anything we face in life, like that is where the moment there's conflict, how do we get to a place where we're like, yes, here's my opportunity. And that's a lot of work to get to that point. And so it's an internal as well as an external process of transformation, though from the sound of it, it's primarily an internal process for each of the individuals who come to the table in a moment of conflict. Yeah. And Marsha Rosenberg, who's been working with people 
sitting with people who people in the room have murdered other people's children in the room um, tensions between in Africa ethnicities tensions in Palestine Israel Marsha Rogensberg says the hardest part of this is getting people to the table the absolute hardest part in that once you see the whole goal of this conflict transformation and integral nonviolence, the whole goal is just seeing the other person's humanity that once you see the other person's humanity things start to shift and solutions start to express themselves. And, so, oh, yeah. So that we understand that the person who we're sitting with is more valuable than the worst decision that they've ever made. That whatever may have brought about that conflict is not the only way in which we should think or label that person. And, oh, okay. And it happens here. I'll use a personal example. So this year, uh, one of my great journeys is with anger. I grew up where... You know, there were rumbles of 20 on 40. I broke into a police car. I, 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 I had a lot of anger uh, in me. I don't, didn't know how to express it. A lot of detention and getting removed from school. And so I'm still working on it. And so this year, I've had an amazing year where I almost spent zero time offloading my anger onto another person. I was able to actually offload it in a healthy way to share with some, I'm in a lot of pain, can you sit with me? But the one time it happened, this uh, fall, uh, a family was living here and their care for someone who's here was recovering from crystal meth and heroin addiction, who I had risked a lot to house and take care of behind the scenes. I was meeting with that person every day and in the sharing, this woman just out of her love for this other person said, wow, you're kicking somehow the idea was created that we're kicking this person out which actually wasn't true and that the person wasn't being nurtured um, which also wasn't the case of how they were feeling and because I grew up watching many friends OD and die and have a lot of distress around mm -hmm. drug use so it was a, a big stretch for me to have someone here recovering and relapsing having you know that's my own distress so as she was sharing I broke the circle and stood up and yelled directed for for the first 60 seconds was directed at her mm -hmm. how could you come in this place and claim like i'm risking everything and and really yelling at her and her little daughter was off to the side and started screaming and grabbed her mom and and so after about five minutes i was able to recover and say look you, you have nothing to do with this like the pain is coming up in me and i shared my distress around losing friends to addiction and tears but that three minutes defined me, especially, which I honor because of the, the incredible patriarchy and sexism that's happened for 2,000 years. I was defined for those three minutes for the rest of everyone's stay. So instead of, wow, here's where Ethan came from, and for three minutes this year, he very violently offloaded anger towards an individual that because of other wounds, that's all we remember. Remember that moment that, oh, person X we know stole $60 out of our collective resources that's just sitting in a drawer that anyone can take. And they, therefore, for the rest of their life, they're defined with mistrust. Instead of having a balance that Ethan's more than that three minutes and Ethan needs full accountability to shift this so it doesn't happen again. How do you, how do you approach it with both? Um, 
And that's really hard work because when someone opens our wounds, we tend to define them by those few minutes of their whatever it may be, judgment, their few minutes of anger, their few minutes of blame. Um, and we have to grow our hearts enough to realize that what in those moments what I need most, which I can't demand, is compassion. I need people in the room to be able to say, Ethan, you're really hurting right now, but we're not there yet. People come and are just being introduced to conflict transformation, so all of a sudden, I'm the one who's worked on it for 20 years, and I'm the big, angry, white male. And so it, it's, a, it's an interesting position to be in, because it's not about perfection. It's about trying your best in every moment. And so what it means is that, because I've been trying, I need to be perfect, or this whole theory is, uh, is, is a bunch of BS. You know, I think this would be in the appendix, but we... There's several important ways to mention that. Uh, I think the most important thing is that we need an overt conflict transformation system where we're going to fall back to enemy identity. Right. This person, if only this person wasn't at the community, if only this person wasn't in the permaculture uh, guild that we will fall back to a punitive system. We are raised in a punitive system. So when somebody does something, then they're right to be punitive. If you stole, then you can't be the PA anymore. That would be punitive. Right. Instead of, um, there's this wonderful Zen, true Zen story where one of the monks kept stealing from the common purse. And it happened so many times, every other monk Buddhist monk wrote up wrote up a announcement to the head leader of the Zendo saying we are all leaving if this person isn't expelled from the monastery. They're causing un unimaginable unconsciousness and arising so much in us. And they all signed it. Every single member of that Zendo is going to leave. And they brought this before the current Zen master in the lineage. And the Zen master read it and said, go, all of you go with my blessings. I'm so sorry you can't be here. But if you, all of you know right from wrong, then how much more important is for me to give all my love and energy to this one brother who doesn't know it? and that I will be with him till death, even if he keeps stealing. And this is a true story. In that moment, the thief started weeping because the thief all of a sudden got what we talked about yesterday, love and belonging, the number one need. In psychological studies, they're finding that uh, social rejection occurs inside the body absolutely to the equivalent of being punched in the face. It's actually, most psychologists and people studying it now are saying it's more painful than physical violence. So, one on, when we take a risk to live into the new world, we risk social rejection. If we bring up conflict, we, we risk social rejection. So, to think that that is the largest source of pain and distress 
is being rejected from our highest need of everyone on the planet. Nature-based people, people in Russia, people in China, people in Iraq, people who are atheists, people who are Muslim. The number one thing is love and belonging. So here, the person gave this unlimited love and belonging to the person, which gave them the strength to transform. And it rippled all of them, according to first-hand accounts, all of the monks began to weep. Now, instead of the Zen master saying, you aren't doing the Buddhist way by denying this, he said, oh, I'm so sorry you're going to be leaving. I'm heartbroken. This is your home. And understand that I have to stay committed. And that's, that's the brilliance of the conflict transformation in that everyone heals when one person heals and everyone falls when one person falls. We are, we are interdependent. So to avoid conflict is meaning of, we're avoiding the transformation and healing in full heart of the world. So it's actually much higher risk to avoid conflict. And Dominic Barter says it's actually, because it's so culturally in the United States, it's so culturally appropriate to avoid conflict. That's what we do. At the Thanksgiving table, when there starts to be conflict, you just shut down and there, you don't say, hey, let's talk about what's coming up for people. You just don't take those risks. So Dominic Barter, who worked in one of the most violent places in the world, in the favelas outside of Rio de Janeiro, went to test this conflict transformation work where people were being murdered at a rate higher than war zones. And he said, it's more dangerous to avoid conflict because what happens, he has this wonderful... Uh, it can happen anyway. If you and I, Scott, are at the grocery store, let's say we're at the food co-op, <laughs> and you always lose the car keys, and I'm like, oh, let's, let's, let's go, or the bike lock. Mm-hmm. Let's all do it in the new paradise. <laughs> Dominic uses more mainstreams. That, so the bike lock, and I'm like, where is it? What happens is I start to lose your humanity because I start to define you as forgetful. It has symbolic meaning, which is another important thing, that the bike lock, losing the key isn't, I'm not getting upset because you lost a key. What's the symbolic meaning behind it? That I can't, you don't honor me enough to, I can't trust you, this is the symbolic meaning. That you don't care enough about me to make sure you find the key, it's just, so I have this deeper meaning that means something, which I, I don't see your humanity. So what starts happening when I don't see your humanity? my voice starts to raise. We haven't, we're in the same distance apart, we're three feet apart, but because I'm energetically moving away from you, humanity, my voice raises, because energetically I'm now half a mile away from you. And then what happens, you get upset, and so you find the keys in your pocket and you throw them at me. So now we're a mile away from you, and what happens is eventually the distance is so far I can't see your humanity, and that's when I can throw you in the gas chamber. Mm-hmm. I can lynch you. I can bomb you. So these subtle beginnings of losing our humanity actually keeps rippling until we end up with the world where there's razor wires on European countries right now, and refugees are freezing to death up against the razor wire because of enemy identity. We have... when an act of violence happens, we are punitive, so we return an act of violence. So this is also very important stuff because if we don't work on conflict transformation, let's not pretend 
we're going to have peace on earth. Let's not pretend we're going to end war. And so we have to catch what we try to do here is two big things is one, every moment in our conflict system, the moment you notice a loss of seeing that person's humanity, if you can get the exact moment you're here for a couple of days and all of a sudden I have some story about you, the moment I catch it, I want to be aware and I want to bring it to the light. Shame, conflict grows and becomes a story bigger than what is reality the more we sit on it. So we get farther away from the truth. The moment I catch it, I'm less triggered. I can come to you and say, hey, I'm making up this story and I'm so sorry, but I really want to be close to you. It's such a blessing that you've come all this way and I want to support this project. Most often, we can come to a connection really quickly. And if I can also look at the symbolic meaning of, uh, you know, if you look at a marriage, if someone had a, a, this camera here, if you were at the camera in, in Sarah and I's house, and I came back from biking, let's say, and it's happened before, I bike into town like yesterday, and it's, it's negative three, wind chill. I bike 12 miles and 12 miles back, I'm exhausted. I leave my clothes on the floor, and in the morning Sarah comes down and is really upset. And if you're just looking objectively, you'd say, why is Sarah getting upset? He just biked all this way and he just put the clothes on the floor. What you wouldn't know is Sarah said, it's so important for me to come to a, a nice empty space when I come home or when I get up and just know that I can begin the day with this openness to cook or do my work on the land and knowing she's made that request to me. And so the clothes on the floor, if she really looks at it, the symbolic meaning is that uh, I don't care about her needs. Uh, I don't respect her. Uh, my needs are going to always trump. She can't trust my word because I've committed not to do that. So if she can get connected to the symbolic meaning, all of a sudden we're not... What most people do is they end up having an argument about the clothes on the floor and they will never be conflict transformation. They have the argument about, no, I want beets at the front of the house in our permaculture demo site. No, I want leeks. Beets, leeks. And instead, when they look deeper, uh, what, you know... Where are these meanings? What does the actual thing mean? And so then we start to get to the root of why we're agitated. And um, yeah, so you have to be very vigilant, like watching constantly, like when does that enemy of Denny start? And as a community, if I see it starting between Sarah and Dan, I'm responsible because we're interdependent to not in the middle of the public group and say, hey, Dan and Sarah, looks like you haven't been getting along. That's violent. So much nonviolent communication and conflict transformation is violent. Yes. You are unconsciously using it to show the darkness of the other and pretend that you're holy. Thomas Merton has this wonderful quote, uh, God, however you hold it, God, love, Buddha, spirit, God wants you to be honest, not holy. Because only when you're honest can life work on you. And so we constantly attempt to be holy. And so I try to let people know on the tour, they come, they're like, well, the possibility lines, they've got to figure it out. I'm like, you know what? Three years ago, I threw a piece of bamboo through the window and smashed it. My daughter was crying and wouldn't hug me for a week because they'd never, she'd never seen such a... You now, my second father had passed away and I had immense distress from my mom going through that pain again and just instead of just feeling it and feeling that I'm helpless, I can't bring Jim back. Dad, that I just had to watch and hold space for my mom suffering. And that came out in the distress is smashing something when there was a conflict with Sarah and I. 
So I have much better chance, even though thousands of people know that I do that and may be afraid of me because I've punched someone hard enough to put them in a hospital in my past that, that that's the best chance I have. And so I would take Dan aside and say, hey, notice some te- is there tension between you and Sarah? A, Dan can just discharge onto me. Say, oh, this is what's happening. Not have to edit himself and get c- more connected so he can then go to Sarah, vice versa. Adam Campbell, who's at the Peace and Permaculture Center, uh, when I'm really distressed with Sarah, marriage is incredible work. And it's very difficult, committed relationships, that I need to take Adam aside sometimes and just say, Sarah's always late. And these are stories that I'm like, Adam, I know I love Sarah dearly, and I just need to get this out of my system. He's like, I know. And I know he loves Sarah, so I'm never going to pull someone who has an enemy identity about Sarah. And I, and I release, and he just listens, and then I get closer to the truth. And this is one of our conflict transformation practices. If I'm in conflict with you, Scott, and we're living together, I find the person who has the best relationship with you to talk to. So I find who's getting along with you the best, and I go up to them and say, I'm having this difficulty with Scott, and they see your gifts and beauty. So they're going to bring a balance to the story. What our egos do, and I've done this a million times, I'm in conflict with someone, and I go to the three people that see the same thing I see. How about this about Carolyn? Oh, yeah. And the, e- the number one thing the ego loves is to be right. So instead of creating interdependence and healing, we are creating more separation. So now, I don't, now I'm bringing three other people into the separation, and, and, and their distress is awakening, and the four of us get resolved that we're holy, Carolyn is wrong. Thank goodness. Whew. We don't have any work to do. So we reverse it by saying, find the person that is the most connected to go to and share. And so these may seem like simple practices, but they are transformative. And how many days I'm in conflict with someone, I'm like, I'm going to go, I know that person who left, I'm going to call them. They really had trouble with that person. And I really want to like feed that other wolf, the dark wolf. And I stretch to go to the person that I know sees the beauty of that person. And my ego doesn't want that. But I get to feel this like disruption when they're saying, oh my gosh, Carolyn, have you noticed how she does this? And yeah, I know she's struggling with this, but she's working on it. And all of a sudden, I have to be aware to have my story be proved not fully correct. When you were working through this with a class and a new group of people, if you come into conflict with someone and you don't know who... If you don't know someone who knows them well, how do you work through this in that kind of situation where it's a group full of strangers? We do this at every... We have people for a week who are strangers of the PDC. And what it looks like is... Uh, I begin by saying, the less we talk about conflict, the more it builds, the more control it has over our lives. Buddha says, what we think we become. So if we're constantly thinking, this person in the permaculture design course, they're not cleaning up during cleanup. They haven't done dishes. They're just slackers. They don't deserve to be here. The more we keep it inside, the more it controls us. And the more we're also not present to serve. So right in the beginning, I say that, I begin the class by saying, the less we talk about conflict and shame, the more power it has over us, what we think we become. So here's an opportunity to bring it to the light. I literally speak for a paragraph and then I say, 
what's the current tension in you in this group? And so break out. So they break out with one other person. To begin, I, I have them choose someone who they're not in conflict with and they just get to speak and bring it to the light. And every person says they feel more relaxed after that five minute sharing. And then the second time we get together, they are invited to do clearings, which I'm hoping some of these skills are in the appendix. Clearing is that they're sitting there and they're like, okay, tonight we are going, it's now day seven of the permaculture course. You're going to get to go up to the person that you have. You may think it's so subtle and not important to talk about it. I'm just going to forget it. But again, this is where our humanity starts to be lost. So by the seventh day, people are walking up to the person they're in conflict with, framing it, if they can be honest that they want to be close to this person. So I'm coming up to you because I care about our relationship. Taking responsibility, I've diminished the relationship because I'm having the story that I never see you uh, helping with cleanup. And I, I really have a need that everyone plugs in, so I'm, I'm so sorry that I haven't brought that to you and it's causing distance. I want to be close to you. Normally, after that clearing, taking responsibility that I'm creating the, dis the, the gap, most often the response is, I've been feeling really bad because I haven't been doing as much. I'm so overwhelmed here. My, my marriage is on the edge of divorce and I came here and left my job and I'm so sorry. What can happen within five minutes, one of the people are crying and then they're hugging. Just because the other amazing thing about conflict transformation and this was, again, Buddha. I, I have a song that is Buddha said some kick-ass stuff. Uh, he said, understanding awakens compassion. Mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas says, if you knew all, you would forgive all. So if, if someone could actually live through my life and then they see me yelling at someone as a, an attack for a minute, most likely, as my old friends do, they'd be like, wow, you have come a long way. It's not that I'm justified or that's an excuse. I take full responsibility that what I did that day was participating in sexism, uh, participating in abuse, and that I'm still a beautiful person that wants to heal it. So we don't have understanding because we are guarding our honest, wounded selves. So then we all show up pretending we're okay. So then we look at the other person and they seems like their life's okay. Why aren't they doing the dishes? But if we, anyone sitting in any circle on the first day, I'm like, wow, we're all beautiful and we're all wounded. By the end of two weeks, people are sharing, my brother just died. I'm, I'm totally disconnected from my parents. I've been dealing with addiction to pornography. This is when the, the PDC goes through the roof. Because all of a sudden, as we're talking about appropriate technology and shifting our addictions, this is where the rubber hits the road. Instead of the regular permaculture rant, why aren't they getting organic local food? Why aren't they biking? It's, it's looking with full love and honesty of how you aren't living the world you want to live. So not only am I using a computer and not using it for something like the podcast, I don't, I don't personally use computers, but... If someone was going to use them, I'd want to use it with all those embedded resources for the highest amount of shift. But then when we look at how people use the computer, that we're, we're causing immense suffering for our own personal moment of distraction. Which again, 
if we start judging ourselves, we're now in conflict, trans- conflict with ourselves. Right. So we have to also transform that, okay, when I bring it to the light, all of a sudden I have an opportunity to heal. And what happens, one person has the courage to speak in the circle of 30 people at the PDC, and usually two to 10 people are struggling with that same issue. And by the second week of the PDC, these circles are sitting and saying, how are we going to battle this? And we do a take-home, so it's real manifesting. Like, in this moment, Martin Luther King Day, we read it this morning, the future is determined by what we are doing in the present moment. We all put off this amazing world to the future. So they, they make a declaration. We gifted this class. We're like, we invite you to gift the world. What are you going to gift? And so many of them are... Originally, their idea is, I'm going to start this food forest, but what they end up happening is, I'm finally going to quit tobacco. As far as like my global impact of that trade and cigarettes. And, and then once that happens, we hear a year later that the person is doing the community garden. But it's so much more likely to succeed because they are now in higher integrity with who they want to be in the world and other people who are ready to decide to do the food forest in Kansas City, which is also beautiful. And they're like, this is what I need to take on. So it's, uh, it's frightening, you know, to like get it all on the table with complete strangers. But then you'll see that after our one-week nonviolent living week, families are going from Kansas City to Idaho to help another family build a straw bale. Because they finally got what they want is like, authentic relationship where I can be myself and still be loved. Because why we don't share is because if I share that I'm a, an addict or you know someone who was here for a year and biked here from Vermont and grew their own food to come here and all this amazing stuff, it wasn't until they left that they're like, you know what? It's been a month where I've been getting high every day and playing video games and I'm tired of hiding. In this letter, we were all weeping and celebrating for like, this was his chance to transform. And so, but he understood that we were going to love him. And that takes time. So the reason we don't share ourselves in conflict transformation is because the greatest pain we can endure is social rejection, losing love and belonging. So what we end up with is these superficial, not superficial, they still love, but relationships that aren't satisfying Mm -hmm. because we know we're meant to be so close and interdependent. And so it's a, it is a high risk. And that's, that's the work of transforming ourselves in the world. There's no guarantee. I, I can only say, and I say this by testimony of the people's work on themselves, that all the blessed projects that have birthed from people coming here and spending six months here or nine months and then realizing that they can live what's in their hearts and that it's going to be imperfect like here. Every single one of them is, is functioning and has made the five-year mark. So every single one has made the one in a hundred. And it has nothing to do with the possibility lines. It has everything to do with that they learn tools that prepared them for success. And this is a wide range of projects. One is the Shade Tree Collective that has a, almost an acre of a permaculture oasis in the poorest area of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. You go around the corner and there's, they live on a block where a building fell on an African-American man and he was killed. And there was no 
follow through with the city. Imagine if a building fell on a middle-class white businessman. It didn't even register. And that kind of oppression and heartbreak, and you walk around the corner where there's rubble and there is pawpaw trees and ducks in a duck pond. Not only that, all the multicultural kids in the neighborhood are in there feeding the ducks. People are coming and just grabbing green tomatoes, which is a cultural food that they, they can't get in the supermarkets. And, and, and it's a place of, sh- it's shared. This place of beauty is shared. And ranging from the Shade Tree Collective all, all the way to a rural project in California, Loving Earth Farm, where uh, two women who are in love and creating a life together are working with the crosscut saws and looking at maybe getting a camel because you can milk a camel and they can use it for transportation in this desert area of California and in uh, really focusing on care of elders in need and nonviolent communication. And But I think the, the basis of what I'm saying here is that this is crucial to our revolution of a, of a new earth, a new society. And when people... Even hearing it, every time I step into conflict, I'm never, yes, that when I'm really triggered, it's difficult. And so, on a flip note, Sarah and I have lived in communities, at that time it was Lost Valley Educational Center, where every moment of enemy identity was addressed. Every single moment. And the gardens were covered in weeds, people were importing lots of food, and people were driving, and so then the, the conflict was offset onto those people in the sweatshops. And so there has to be a balance that also we have to, when we commit to a place and to people, Dan and I know there's enough love that a little disturbance will check in at the end of the day and be like, totally fine. We've already worked through it without even having to talk. Mm-hmm. And so there has to, I also believe, and I don't know if for each person it's different, but there has to be a balance because I have to also be ending conflict transformation by producing my own food not getting food that's bananas where I was in Ecuador where in five year period 10,000 people died from their viewpoint the Ecuadorians direct contact to the chemicals being used for banana plantations and that most people were pushed off their land for the bananas to come to the United States and that I have to realize that I'm also connected to their oppression. So, this vision is all-inclusive. We have to, we have to ground and we have to do this work and we also know that even when sometimes we're in conflict, our neighbor has cancer and is almost dying in the hospital and we have to go run their 160 cattle head. And that's a time when we can make a choice, not out of fear and avoidance, but hey, this issue, we're called to this. Let's respond. So I, I do think there is a shadow of conflict transformation work that middle-class privileged white people can indulge in just in, in this work in a way that it becomes from interdependent to w- what I believe watching it, it can become self-centered. Uh, and it, I mean, it's complex to say that. Because you want to do this healing work, but at a certain point, it's like, my healing! If your healing becomes essential to everyone else's around you, there's no longer a balance. Mm -hmm. 
and um, more so that I, I think when when we introduce this to the permaculture class and we talk about these challenging things and people start experimenting and then feel closer people at the end say the reason I learned so much is because I felt connected and supported by the community so they were able to absorb the soil class this is the subtleties I was able to be present and absorb the soil class because normally I would have a shame tape saying I'm not smart enough I'm a woman I can't share and so that person at the beginning could say, I'm intimidated when it gets really scientific because I don't think I'm scientific-minded, but I feel more present now. And everyone in the group is like, thank you. On to, you know, the clearing can just be a, a sentence. And then checking in with her at the end, the group checks in and she says, I was totally present for all of that. And she was actually sharing her knowledge and asking questions. So it's an amazing thing that the hard skills of permaculture become more accessible and more penetrating to the mind and heart when all of our fear of social rejection is clear because our tapes are just constantly running am I smart enough wow now I'm learning to size in the permaculture class do I look like a what we talked about yesterday and what will happen now is someone will be like ding and hit something and they'll look back at the group and laugh and we'll all laugh and be like we're all there with you yeah. and so these all are essential to like learning how to live with the earth and each other and what we, um, in a sense, created here, I mean, it's most of these things, I think it's important to say nonviolence, permaculture, these things are all as old as the hills. Mm -hmm. You know, there's also this idea that permaculture, permaculture wasn't found, wasn't discovered. It's basically, I, I love what um, it's um, Roy Khan. Uh, the Japanese calligrapher who lived in the mountains was an amazing permaculturalist even though he wouldn't ever use that name said if you've lost something it's sitting there right behind you since the beginning of time and if you've attained something you've always had it so like permaculture is simply living within divine law the law of nature and so Bill Mollison and David Holgram simply watched in and observed it again, being lived by mainly nature-based people, as well as these ideas of, uh, we call them preventative conflict systems. So we have preventative medicine. Mm -hmm. We have all these preventatives. But what happens when we focus on, instead of conflict, what if we focus on those activities that make us connect, those activities that make us see each other's humanity, then there's no need for conflict transformation. So our, our first, we have a five-part part of our conflict transformation system, which I hope that's also in the back, that it doesn't matter what your system is, but Dominic Barter says if you don't have a system when you're in conflict, you're not going to agree on a system. Mm -hmm. If you create a system for dealing with conflict in your permaculture guild or in your co-op or your squat, whatever it is, you have an agreement. So when the tension's high, you go through that system. So we all encourage the A through Zs. I'm not going to list them all right now, but they would be hopefully accessible in the book. Playing together. So this is one of our systems to see the humanity. So we have uh, Sled Fest. We invite people from all over the town to do synchronized sledding and the Sledding Olympics. We had uh, synchronized swimming uh, competition. We had a, uh, this big treasure hunt with, with 20 kids and 60 adults. So 
actually playing and being out and just enjoying the world, going on a hikes together and just looking for and sharing beauty. Singing together. And a lot of these are tested, like when they studied communities in Europe, the top 10 things that the oldest communities had that stayed together was singing together. Whether you're on a campfire singing old 60s songs or civil rights songs or spirituals, that that interconnects us. And another thing that we do is by offering hospitality. We welcome people into our space and this teaches us how to be less selfish. And we find the less self-centered each individual is, conflict drops. We believe that the community will take care of our needs and that we no longer have to live, we'll go over that in the gift economy, that scarcity. So we learn to share and this builds us, this hosting builds us. Um, there's so many. When there's power imbalance, conflict increases. So there's no guarantee, but we do consensus decision making. So there's a higher chance that there'll be a power shared. And we also have 11 points to that. One of them is honor the dissenting voice. So Sarah is now the minority as a woman, also in a group that has been historically oppressed. So when Sarah speaks, all of us take double the time now. Part of this is a gift from Carolyn's teachings. That At the beginning of the meeting we say, we want to acknowledge that Sarah in the circle is the minority. And that we commit to give her extra attention and awareness for her parts of the consensus decision-making process. And just that, she, she, maybe every other meeting has so much gratitude is brought to tears just to be recognized. And that changes the whole length. So all these things are important that the more there's power sharing or clear understanding of the system of power, that there's less conflict. So we have a list in, in A through Z of these daily practices. And if we're doing those, that's it. I mean, conflict transformation is simple. It's just seeing the other person's humanity. It's like being with a good friend. When I see Carolyn, it's just like, hey! And we have established that trust, but the more practices we have to make sure that we are keep seeing each other's humanity, that we can make conflict transformation obsolete. But our lives are so busy. Our lives are so full that it's, we've got the tweet here and here. And so how do we make priority to protect our human and nature, natural relationships? So just as people are relieved when they hear, oh, let's set up conflict preventative systems in our permaculture guild, in our co-house. Let's go on adventures together. Um, the things that bring us together and bind us. You've given a good overview of how, of the importance of it, why we need to practice it, as well as, in my moment, a lot of steps that we can take in order to do that. Um, as I usually end a lot of our interviews, do you have any other thoughts on this in the moment that you want to add? Yeah. So. There's just a few more that feel like... Uh, I'm basing on feedback a lot of what we do here, we try something new every time we share it, and then we test when a group leaves, we sit for an hour, two hours, and get feedback. So these are some points that I've said have been very helpful to people. Um, one is this, it's a short, very short reading, but Jean Beignet, uh, 
nails it. He he lived with mentally disabled adults, and basically in France in the 30s and 40s, was taking people out of the insane asylums and giving them homes. And the very village he was doing it at wanted the wanted his project out of that village. Like, what are you doing to our town, our nice peaceful town? And after 20 years of living with with, with such a joyful and challenging situation, he says. Community is the place where our limitations, our fears, and our egoism are revealed to us. We discover our poverty and our weaknesses, our inability to get along with some people, our mental and emotional blocks, our affective or sexual disturbances, our seemingly insatiable desires, our frustrations and jealousies, our hatred and our wish to destroy. While we are alone, we could believe we loved everyone. Now that we are with others, living with them all the time, we realize how incapable we are of loving. How much we deny to others, how closed in on ourselves we are. And if we are incapable of loving, what is left? There is nothing but despair, anguish, and the need to destroy. Love then appears to be an illusion. We are condemned to inner isolation and death. So community life brings a painful revelation of our limitations, weaknesses, and darknesses. The unexpected discovery of the monsters within us is hard to accept. The immediate reaction is to try to destroy the monsters or to hide them away again, pretending that they don't exist. Or else we try to flee from community life and relationships with others or to assume that the monsters are theirs, not ours. It is the others who are guilty, not us. This is the pain of community life. Community is also the place where the power of the ego is revealed and where it is called to die so that people can become one body. So, with, with our industrial society that creates division and, and lack of time and space and lack of belonging, makes sense why we all want to be in apartments alone and going to restaurants. Because we can pretend. But coming together again to hold it that this is an opportunity for actually Lanza de Vasto had this amazing integral non-violence project in France that we lived at. The most simple living. Every chair was carved on site. Every drape was woven. Three tons of wheat brought in by the horse, like all in, in structural violence had been removed. Lanza still said, if we cannot find peace among ourselves in this community, we have nothing to offer the world. So how can I, sitting here without drones bombing my adobe because I'm 10 miles from a supposed terrorist cave, assume that Palestinians and Israelis who are in acute violence right now, which isn't being reported really in the American media, the worst violence we've seen there since Israel was put in, and blessings to friends like Chris Moore Backman who are, who are in the middle of the war zone as a peacekeeper, that I can't ask that question if I'm not willing to do the work with people who have hurt my feelings. If I really want healing for people who have seen genocide and the death or let alone right in the United States that's not being Palestine that black men can just be shot unarmed 
I mean, imagine there was a black man who was at a, a store who took a toy gun off of the shelf for his son and was killed. And imagine if a white man went to Toys R Us and grabbed a gun and was shot dead. What would happen in the national media? What would happen in our debate? And so we have to do this work. If we, if we are expecting equality between people of color and gay, lesbian, queer, and all the things that have happened, that there's, this is the hard message, is there's no choice. It's either give up on peace on earth or start transforming your heart and do it for the Palestinians, for the African Americans. Not be, do it because this is the way to peace, to see that we all have uh, something divine in us. So it's, uh, we have a choice. A few little reframes that help is that, um, this also came from Brazil in the restorative circle work, is every conflict is at least 500 years old. Mm-hmm. When I remember that, I can, I can relax a little bit. That Dominic and all the beautiful people in Brazil who have been working on restorative circles saw that all the depth of the conflict came at the point when the Spanish and Portuguese arrived. That acute suffering conflict. So when I look at my life, my ancestors left Europe, which was incredibly painful, whether for oppression or for something new. They left on boats where there's no guarantee. It was not like today. Way more people died moving around then. It was a high risk. Came to a country, participated, one, in the genocide of native peoples, and two, a slavery of a whole other race of people from Africa. And that's inside of me. And I can choose to heal all that. The amazing thing is the genetic work that Ched Meyer's wife is doing is they've now found that they, they studied people from the Holocaust and there's actually structures covering the DNA that show that trauma is passed genetically and that when these people do the work to heal the trauma inside of them, those structures, the film they call it on the DNA, disappears. That there is an actual now science is tracking. And it's unfortunate because we're rational. So much of permaculture is rational that we need like the rational evidence that actually trauma is genetically passed on year after year. If you've had alcoholism for seven generations or there's been physical abuse in the family and that the beautiful thing is you can choose to stop passing that on. That I can do this work on my own anger and pain of losing my dad to a drunk driver and my rage to, it's not neutral. It's not neutral the way things are set up. People die, it's a leading cause of death between 16 and 25. Vehicles are not neutral. They, they have a lot of beauty in them. Road trips are incredibly fun, I miss them. They can bring them to people who you love. And also that I, ha- I wanna heal this rage so that it's not passed to Etta and Isla. And so then we have the beloved community that Martin Luther King, because it's Martin Luther King Day was talking about. So to realize, oh, this is 500 years or 1,000 years that I'm carrying. So, yeah. All right. I, didn't, I wasn't in the womb 
Carolyn Scott, you weren't sitting in the room saying like, here's how I want the world. When I come out, I want 100 species going extinct a day. I'm going to have people spending more time on a computer screen than face-to-face with people. I want it that there's racism and people die because of racism and that nuclear weapons. And, you know, this is a world that we, we, we wouldn't want, but now we're here. And that this conflict transformation is not just about making our permaculture collective successful. It's about transforming this 500-year history into true peace and connection. And so the act of conflict transformation is like the magic lever. It's helping our permaculture guilds design. It's helping us receive more information on how to live with the natural world. It's helping heal racism and structural violence against Native peoples and African Americans. It's helping us feel more joyful and alive. Most people leave the permaculture class here saying, that was hard, but I feel more alive. Which is um, important. We're not numb anymore. I'm feeling. Dominic Barter also says, if you do not feel the world, you can't be changed by it. If, you do not, if you're not willing to feel the world, it cannot change you. So that's why we choose distraction and numbness, because it can be pretty heartbreaking. But that heartbreak leads to true revolution and transformation. So the other great thing besides this 500 years is just a few reframes that have been helpful for people. One, conflict also produces heat. It's a life force. It's power returning to you. You're coming alive. So even though some of that, under the anger, there's a real want for uh, justice. So how do we see that whatever's arising in someone is also like a flower blooming? Marshall Rosenberg says there's these three stages of conflict transformation. The first stage is like suppression. You've been suppressing all this and denying it. The second stage... um, uses the term, uh, is it the annoying brat? The, that basically it comes out very ungrounded. You're just like, you bother me because you, you know, you, you go over to the other edge. And then the life enhancing one in the middle is that you've reclaimed that force. As Gandhi said, anger is one of the most potent forces when transformed becomes a revolutionary power. So we're producing heat. We're coming alive. So when I realize you're coming alive, even though it's directed at me, how can I support that to be of the greatest learning instead of it becoming personal? And then if someone's in conflict with you, they, it means they trust you. This is something that has really, because we often get a lot of conflict directed at Sarah and I because of trying this imperfect experiment. And it, it awakens a lot of excitement and awakens a lot of distress. So when I realize oh, people are just charging at me because they trust me. They trust that I'm not going to cut off the relationship if they just yell at me. And so that makes sense that I don't know why it's built this way, but the people we love the most, like Sarah, my wife, we're going to see each other's ugliest piece because unconsciously I trust Sarah's still going to be with me. So next time someone's yelling at you, or you're trying to create a collective and someone's pointing at you, be like, oh, they love me and trust me. Which is an interesting paradox to what we think if someone's yelling at us, they don't like us, and then we have distress because we think they don't like us. But it's actually the reverse, that we 
the people that we trust is where we open to our greatest truths and pains. So, yeah, and this idea that um, if you're not part of the problem, this is it's from solving, solving tough problems. Someone who worked in Guatemala and South Africa during the end of apartheid, they came up with this expression: "If you're not part of the problem, you can't be part of the solution." So, if you actually think the conflict having happening in your collective or your group or your consulting firm, whatever you're doing, has to do with them and not you, there's no way you can solve it until you put yourself in there and realize you are also. Permaculture says it. The problem is the solution. And it's the same that you have to be willing to be part of the problem in order to be part of the solution. So what are you bringing to it that's creating disconnection? So, yeah. I mean, this is obviously... We haven't even brushed the surface. So maybe if there's feedback that this is useful, we could go much deeper. But... Uh, I've been blessed that none of, it's important to say, none of this uh, have we created. It's all just listening deeply and seeking the wisdom because realizing that the reason the Possibility Alliance is thriving and we do love each other here and we are making pioneering efforts and dozens and dozens of projects are coming out of people learning these skills and hundreds of people are coming here for a week and going home and be like, we got rid of our computer and cars, gave them our money away, is, is because of this work. So I, I, uh, I may be beating the head of the listeners with a two by four. You can edit it, but just saying like, we, this, this particular one, herb spirals can be avoided. They're not necessary. But this... <laughs> <laughs> But this particular one, uh, from the statistics that we, we have to look at this. And that was Ethan Hughes. These conversations with Ethan, a beautiful synthesis of the wisdom of others with his own experiences of living in community, continue to change and transform my life and lead to new discoveries. As I apply the lessons learned along the way, I find that they work. I'm calmer and less angry. I'm able to move through the world with less judgment and without creating so many stories, but rather to see, witness, and understand other people around me. It's almost like it's reawakened my empathy and increased my compassion. Because of that, there's less strife, and it also decreases the sense of other or enemy identity through the simple events of life. I won't say it's perfect, and I've got a lot of work to do, and you know, we do call these things practices for a reason, but the improvement is there. By changing ourselves, we change the world. Now imagine all those possibilities. If you're interested in embracing nonviolence and conflict transformation, and there's any way that I can assist you on your road, wherever you are in that journey, get in touch. Email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com or call 717-827-6266, or you can drop something in the mail. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. If you are in a place that you can help me, I would really appreciate it, as this podcast stays on the air thanks to generous listeners like you. In the notes, you'll find a paypal.me link where you can make a one-time donation to the show, and any amount helps. If you'd like to become an ongoing member, then sign up at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast, 
where for as little as $5 per month, you can receive a range of benefits, including exclusive content, such as a recent video tour of the systems at Seppi's Place, my new community home, and early access to advertisement-free episodes. Thank you for your time and support. As this episode comes out, I'm on my way to Berea, Kentucky, and the Clear Creek community. Check out the podcast Instagram feed, instagram.com slash permaculturepodcast, for updates throughout that trip as my reception allows while I'm down in the hollows. On Saturday, April 23rd, 2016, is Spring Into Permaculture, hosted by Clear Creek Schoolhouse. Come and hang out with us, starting at noon. Stay for a mead-making workshop with Jeremy Zimmerman, author of Make Mead Like a Viking from 1 to 3 p.m. And in the evening, we're having a potluck and live recording the podcast. Find out more at clearcreekschoolhouse.org. On June 18th, 2016, is the Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence outside of Charlestown, West Virginia, hosted by Emma Huvos of the Riverside Project. The keynote speaker for this day is Michael Judd, and other guests include Sean Walker of Trees 101, Diane Bluest of Chicory Hill Farm, Nicole Luttrell of Deeply Rooted Design, Jen Mendez of Permi Kids, Seppi Garrett of Seppi's Place, and the Forager and Rewilder, Nathan Rupley. And as you may have come to expect, because I'll be at this event, we'll end the night with a potluck and an in-person recording the podcast. Lots of great folks who are doing good work are going to be here to meet and learn from. As this event is limited to 100 tickets, pick up yours today at midatlanticpermacultureconvergence.eventbrite.com and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. From here, as I'll be on vacation next week with my family, I'm going to be re-releasing the episode with Carl Steyert on nonviolent communication to continue this thread of nonviolence and conflict transformation. Until the next time, take care of yourself, each other, and the earth.